Thank you, Beth. Good morning, everyone. After I guess my name's Anton. Uh, do turn back to uh, 1 Thessalonians, page 1683, as we'll continue our series through this book of the Bible. Well, what does God want from you? What could you do in your life that will please God? If you know the glory of God, if you know the love he has shown you in Jesus, then our life's mission is to please God. But what does that look like? What is God's will for you so that you please him? I'm hoping by the end of our time today, looking at God's word together, we'll all be crystal clear on what God's will is for you so that you can live a life that pleases God. Do you want that? As we heard in that first reading when the Apostle Paul uh, came to the Christians in Thessalonica, he didn't just bring the news of salvation through Jesus, he also taught people, uh, God's, God's, God saved people, how they can please God. Christianity is not a religion where we, we guess and hope that we're doing things right. No, God has shown us what it looks like to please him having shown his love uh, to us. So it says in uh, the first verse of chapter 4 in in 1 Thessalonians that uh, we instructed you how to live in order to please God. They know. And he's writing to them so that they will please God more and more. So what is it? How do I live in order to please God? What's God's will for my life? We can often think that we need uh, well, we often think of God's will in terms of some of the decisions that we make. You know, is, it, is it God's will uh, for, for me to change jobs? Or, uh, God, what is your will for my kids' education? Or, God, uh, can you show me what's your will in terms of should I go forward with this treatment or not? We can think that those things are the things that God cares about most. So we try and work out his will because we care about them most. But let's listen to God's word together because he tells us what his will for us is, what he wants from us and for us, how to please him. So have a look in your Bible, 1 Thessalonians 4. Have a look at at verse 3. It says, It is God's will that you should be sanctified. That's God's will for you, your sanctification. Now, you know, sanctified, that's one of the, you know, those fancy Bible words. Uh, but in the original language, it's the same word for holiness. Oh, the arrow's gone off. I fixed it on every other slide. It'll be better later on, trust me. Uh, it's the same word for holiness. So when you see uh, the word sanctify or sanctified in the Bible, sanctification, think of holiness. God wants you to be holy in how you live. That's what matters most to him. We sang before that God is holy, and now that's what he wants for you more than anything else. Your holiness, your sanctification, for you to live a holy life. God cares less about what job you have, or what car to buy, or what jacket to wear. He cares far more about how you live, whether it's a life of holiness, of being pure and godly and loving one another. 
that's God's will for you, to grow to be holy as God is holy. And hearing just from that verse, that's a word to me straight away. Because too often I'm driven by either the approval of others or my own expectations. They're kind of the things that push me along. So what I do or how I live is so often determined by those things. But here God is telling me, no, don't live for the approval of others. Don't even live up to your, you know, your own expectation. Live for your own expectations. Live for what I want, Anton. I want you to be holy. So if you're going to pray for me this week, maybe pray that I will focus on that this week. But let me just pause for a moment because when we talk about holiness, living life God's way, there can be a couple of mistakes we can make in our thinking very, very easily. Our first mistake is holiness saves me. Oh, if I live a holy life, God will accept me into heaven. We might think that. Secondly, we might think holiness crushes me. All that God expects of me, I just can't do it. I feel so down about it, so I'm just, I'm just destined to fail at holiness. Well, these are mistakes we can easily make in our minds when we hear the word holiness. And I'll get to the second one a little bit later. But the first one, we can think that holiness will save us in God's sight. And fair enough if you have this in the back of your mind, because basically every, uh, it's the default view of every religion. You know, if I do good things, if I'm a good, holy person, then God will accept me and he'll save me and bring me to paradise or something. That might be your perception of the Christian faith as well. Isn't it, well, if I'm holy, then God will save me. If I'm a good person, then God will look favorably on me and he'll save me and I'll go to heaven. Well, that's not the message of Jesus or the Apostle Paul here. It's not what the Bible says. The Apostle Paul clearly states in another letter that he wrote, he says, but because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved, not by works, so that no one can boast. See what it says? It's saying, it's actually when we are unholy that God has saved us. When we were dead in transgressions, that's when God acts to save us. So God doesn't save us because we're holy, because of the good works that we've done. He saves us in spite of the things that have displeased him that we've done. That's the wonderful message of the Bible. It's not a message of, if you do better, if you live rightly, then God will accept you and you're welcome in this church. No, the Bible's message is, we are all not worthy. We are all dead in our transgressions. But God has, God has come down in Jesus to save us. He in his holiness has come down to us who are unholy. And, died, and Jesus died and rose for us so that we can be saved. And so anyone is welcome in this church, in God's church. Because we are all people who, are, who need God to save us. It's through his graciousness 
God's graciousness that we can be saved. But that's not where the Christian faith ends. In Ephesians, it goes on to say that we have been created to do good works. We've been saved, sorry, to do good works. Okay, so if we have been saved by God, that's not the end of the story. God has more to do with us. He wants to love us by showing us the right way to live in relationship to others and himself. And so if we have been saved by God, we are to live a holy life doing good works. So holiness doesn't save you, but we are saved to be God's holy people. And so that's who we strive to be as a church. We strive to be God's people. We're not here because we're holy, because we're perfect but we are striving to be holy. But what does that look like? What does holiness look like? How do you live a life that is pleasing to God? Well, as we read through the Bible, we get lots of instructions on how how God wants us to live. But as we read through uh, section by section, for the Thessalonians... And for us today, the passage focuses on two specific aspects of holiness, on purity and love. So I see these things today. Have a look back in uh, your Bible at verse 3. It says, It is God's will that you should be sanctified, that is holy. Oh, come on, arrows. You can do it. (laughs) It's God's will that you should be uh, sanctified, that you should avoid sexual immorality. That each of you should learn to control your own body in a way that is holy and honourable, not in passionate lust like the pagans who do not know God. What's that saying? And so a life that pleases God means that we are holy in our sexuality. And this passage, and the Bible recognises that what God says about our sexuality and what our culture says about sexuality are two very different stories about sex. You know, for our culture, uh, sexual immorality, so the, what's, when sex goes wrong is when, you know, if there's any sex that's non-consensual. But if it is consensual, then whatever it is, go for it. Express yourself sexually. Seek out all the pleasures you can find to feed uh, your passions. Well, as the Bible puts it, that's the pagan way. It was back then when this was written and uh, same today. But the Bible tells a very different story about sex. Throughout the Bible, we get a wonderful picture of why sex is part of our humanity. It's God's gift to humanity to strengthen the lifelong commitment of marriage. The goal of sex is to build a stronger marriage relationship over and above personal pleasure, although that may be uh, a good thing too. Sex serves a marriage rather than sex serving ourselves. That's the Bible's view on why God has given sex to humanity. And so when it says you should avoid sexual immorality, God is calling uh, his people to avoid any sexual relation that goes against 
the Bible story. It's any kind of sexual relation outside of heterosexual marriage. And so to be holy in this area means we need to control our bodies and not just go with whatever uh, passionate lust we feel. And why does God care so much about this? Well, it's because he wants you to act rightly to others. God is the God of all people, not just you. And he cares about others as much as he cares about you. Remember last week, God's words word challenged us that uh, it's not about you. It's not all about you. And so pagan sexuality says, it is all about you. Do whatever feels good. Biblical sexuality says, it's all about others. Do what honours them. Because if we control our own bodies, we honour God and don't use other people. This is brought up in verse 6. Verse 6, it says, And in this matter, no one should wrong or take advantage of a brother or sister. Sexual immorality is wronging the other person. It's depriving them of the good for what God made sex for. It's you taking advantage of them, using them for your pleasure. Whether it's a person... Uh, right there next to you, or a person on the screen. Now, as we, uh, as we gathered from our opening exercise, uh, we have various stages of life here in church, and sexual immorality will come in various forms, depending on your stage of life or how you are as a person, and there's a chance in your weekly small groups, uh, your Bible studies, to think through specifically into your situation, your group situation. And so I hope that is a great opportunity uh, for you to nurture one another through your stage of life. For some of us, this is not a big area of temptation, praise the Lord. For other of us, it's a major source of temptation. Some of us uh, carry a load of shame or guilt when this is brought up. Uh, Firstly, though, for those who are not living a holy life when it comes to sexual immorality, if, if that's a blatant area of sin for you, you might have stopped caring about what God has said a long time, uh, time ago in this, in this part of your life for you. Uh, you know, we can have so many excuses, can't we? oh, I deserve this pleasure because things are really stressful, so this is for me. Or, oh, I feel so much in love with this person, surely this is right. Or, oh, my spouse isn't giving me what I need, and so I need to do this. Well, if that's you, then hear the word of the Lord today. It says, uh, verse 6, the Lord will punish all those who commit such sins. God cares so much for the person you're taking advantage of that he won't stand for it. And so he will respond. But for some of us, we know the things that we're doing are wrong and we do feel terrible 
but we also feel trapped or helpless. We keep going back to it. Well, for you, hear God's word to you, verse 4, that each of you should learn to control your own body in a way that is holy and honourable. That's a comfort. It says it, it needs to be learned. This needs to be learned. Having self-control is not automatic. It needs to be learned. What that means is every time you resist temptation a little bit, every time you remind yourself, I know God's will for me is to be holy, then you are learning to control your own body. Or as you share the sins and struggles with the people you trust and they encourage you and remind you of uh, what God calls you uh, to do or to be, then you're learning to control your own body. In my role as a minister, I've been so privileged to walk beside many who have struggled in this area, particularly pornography or some other form of sexual immorality, and it's such a blessing to pray with them, to remind them of God's forgiveness, to take, help them take that burden off, and then to put in practical steps to avoid sexual immorality. And it's such a joy with the help of the Holy Spirit to see them resist. But we, let's just go back, though, to that second bit of... Second mistake of holiness leads on to this. Holiness crushes me. This is when you know God's will for you is to be holy. You know what God requires of you sexually, but you just feel like you can't or in another area. Well, holiness isn't meant to be crushing. It's meant to be liberating. It's meant to be what we, what we live for. What makes us feel like we're really living. And here are some keys in the passage to help. Firstly, twice in this passage, Paul mentions that the Thessalonian Christians are living a holy life. And so he's encouraging them to do this more and more. And as I look around, I can see so many examples where I can say, as you are in fact living, or as you do love God's family, do so more and more. God is at work in this church. He is at work in you and me to grow us more like him in holiness. And we're also reminded in this passage that God gives us his Holy Spirit in verse 8. And one of the big jobs of the Holy Spirit is to transform your heart so that you are holy as well. And so it won't be only on your own self-determination that you will live a holy life. It will be through humble dependence on the power of the Holy Spirit. And so, the life that pleases God, the life that is according to God's will, is other person focused. That's where we see holiness. So much of what God wants us to do is how we treat other people. And so as we move on uh, to the next uh, section, for the Thessalonians, they are called to love one another more and more. They're to focus their attention on others, to keep seeking their good. That is part of a holy life. And then in verse 11, they are called not to be busybodies who meddle in other people's business, or, and they're not called to be lazy freeloaders who just depend on others' provision. 
So verse 11 says, make it your ambition to lead a quiet life. You should mind your own business and work with your hands, just as we told you. See, what Paul is reshaping our ambition, our goals in life, if we are followers of Jesus. We're not to live for our own glory, for our own satisfaction, for an achievement, for our own pleasure. But God is calling us to seek to love those around us, not taking advantage of them, whether sexually or whether in gossip or whether financially, and seeking what's in the best interest of others, not focusing on what's best ourselves. That's a life that pleases the Lord. And if we do that, individually and as a church, then that will have a wonderful effect on those around us. This will help us as we seek all kinds of people to encounter Jesus. As a life like this wins the respect of the outsider. Because think about it, if you live a life of faithfulness, either in singleness or in marriage, in a world where there's so much confusion and hurt and searching in the area of sexuality, won't others respect your faithfulness? They may not understand it but they'll respect it. As, we, as others see that our lives are lived not for ourselves, but for others, for the good of them, won't that be respect-worthy? So that there is no barrier for them encountering Jesus. So we've gone through this half chapter of 1 Thessalonians. Uh, we're turning to a, a fun topic of the return of Jesus next week. Uh, but for now, are you clear on what's God's will for your life? Do you have an idea of what pleases the Lord? So you can head out this week and go, I have sought to please the Lord this week by the grace of God. What is God's will for your life? It is God's will for you to be sanctified, to be holy. And so for this week, my goal is to have a constant mini prayer going with God. I thought this would be helpful in me thinking, focusing on what God's will is, my sanctification. Just a short, quick prayer, but one that I want to pray multiple times through the week or through different situations. Here's the prayer. Lord, help me to be holy because it pleases you. Lord, help me to be holy because it pleases you. So when I'm stuck in a rut at work, I'm just going to say the quick prayer. Lord, help me to be holy because it pleases you. When I'm tempted by sin, Lord, hang on, help me to be holy because it pleases you. When I'm relating to someone, Lord, help me to be holy because it pleases you. That is what God's will is. It is God's will that you should be sanctified. Let's now sing and confirm to one another that that is the life that we are to live.